Welcome to Kindergarten Ready. What really matters. Kindergarten Ready is a podcast about child development in the first five years. Here, we'll try to uncover what really matters and just what it means to be Kindergarten Ready. Welcome to Kindergarten Ready. Greetings, all. I'm Dr. Jean Ouellette, researcher, director of the Language Literacy Learning Lab, and professor of psychology at Mount Allison University. On this episode of Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, we shift the focus to more closely match the name of the podcast and talk about a few of what many may see as more traditional kindergarten readiness skills, this time around for emergent literacy. We'll hear some super cute kids and, of course, ask what the research has to say, if only it could talk including why your own name is something that really matters. Before we get going today, I wanted to talk just about what kindergarten readiness means. If you've listened to the episode so far, you may be asking, where's the talk of kindergarten readiness? Vocabulary, research methods, stress. Uh, Come on, that's not kindergarten readiness. This mindset's likely because in the past, kindergarten readiness has been defined as a set of discrete, constrained skills. So you can make a list. You can Google kindergarten readiness and you'll find many such lists. Zip up your coat, respond to your name, count to 10, that sort of thing. These are called constrained skills because they're readily teachable and they're finite, meaning they have a ceiling. Young children can and do achieve perfect performance on them. Once you learn how to zip up your coat, you can pretty well zip up your coat. These skills are important, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything specifically wrong with making a list of constrained skills. But I did name this podcast Kindergarten Ready to in part draw attention to a more global concept of readiness. The second part of this show's title, What Really Matters in Child Development, is meant to highlight how pretty well most areas of child development relate, one way or another, to being kindergarten ready. In this perspective, readiness includes skills that are not constrained like vocabulary. Vocabulary and background knowledge are examples of unconstrained skills. These are large domains of knowledge acquired gradually through experience. There is no ceiling per se. You can learn vocabulary, for example, throughout your entire life. Unconstrained skills are particularly important for children's long-term literacy and academic success. Compared to constrained skills, they're also more strongly predicted by a child's social class or their parents' education, and they're more difficult to teach in the classroom. And because of their open-ended nature, unconstrained skills are also much harder to test for. This may be one of the reasons why many scholars have argued that our schools may focus too much on constrained skills and too little on unconstrained ones, especially in the early years. Another issue around the concept of kindergarten readiness is that the phrase itself seems to suggest a clear line or step. On one side of the line, the child's not ready. Cross that line or climb the step. And voila, they're ready. They've achieved readiness. This can be thought of as a stage approach, where readiness is a stage that you reach. Think of it like a staircase. One step below, you're not ready. Develop some discrete skills, and you go to the next step, and you have readiness. Well, you know what? That's not really how child development works, even for discrete, constrained skills. Think instead of a gradually sloped line increasing from left to right, but changing slope along the way. Sometimes going more steep, sometimes plateauing off, 
this is more how child development proceeds. With respect to literacy, we typically prefer to speak of emergent literacy rather than readiness. So today, let's talk emergent literacy. What is it? Emergent literacy refers to a child's developing speech, language, and knowledge of reading and writing before they are fully literate. In other words, it is their experiences with language and print before they learn to read and write conventionally. Literacy is based on many skills, including unconstrained ones like vocabulary, and while it also consists of constrained skills, like knowing the alphabet, for example, reading and writing are complex and evolving processes. Long before kids start school, the process of learning literacy has begun through speech, language, and exposure to print. There isn't a readiness line to cross or a readiness step to achieve. Rather, there is a gradual developmental progression on the pathway to literacy. This includes emergent literacy. The idea is we basically begin on the pathway to literacy once we're born. Now, I should say that emergent literacy is something we will return to again and again in later episodes. It's it's such a prominent piece in the puzzle of child development, and it's also something that I'm directly involved with in terms of my own research. I even thought about making a second podcast solely about emergent and early literacy. That is before I actually realized how much work it was to make a podcast. In order to keep to our 30-minute episode format, give or take a few minutes, let's focus on two specific constrained emergent literacy skills for today. These are skills that are vital on the pathway to literacy. Alphabet knowledge and something called phonological awareness. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs. As I mentioned in the intro, if you Google kindergarten readiness, you'll find many lists, including from government sources. Actually, when I did it, one from the Australian Department of Education came up as the top search result. And no, I'm not anywhere near Australia. Or I'd go out to the Bobby. Apologies for the poor Aussie accent. Apologize to our Australian listeners. I actually think we have uh, two, according, according to the podcast analytics. To those two people who may be listening in Australia, apologies. There's also other lists out there from blogs, magazines, parenting sites, publishers. Uh, One from Scholastic popped up near the top of my search list. And one of the things listed on the Scholastic list was, and I quote, identify some letters of the alphabet. That's a little vague there, Scholastic. To give them credit, they do include write your first name, which is more specific. And as we'll hear in a few minutes, really important. And they include identify rhyming words, and that, as we'll hear shortly, is actually part of phonological awareness. Let's start. Let's talk about the alphabet. Why does it matter? Well, if we start with the alphabet, it's easy enough to explain. You certainly don't need me to tell you what the alphabet is, but I will tell you that it does really matter. This is typically something that parents and preschool teachers value and actively promote. We have our children recite the alphabet. We work with them to recognize and write letters. These are constrained skills. Recall constrained skills have a ceiling. The learner can achieve perfect performance. Within the domain of constrained skills, we see clear predictive relationships in the research. For example, alphabet knowledge is the single best predictor of how well a child will do in learning to read. 
Yet the alphabet is actually far more complex than we might think. Learning the alphabet is actually quite an abstract and difficult task. It involves different aspects of memory, attention, speech processing, and fine motor skills too. And it is a necessary, constrained skill to master on the pathway to literacy. What should we do about it? How do we learn the alphabet? Well, let me just say foremost that we don't need flashcards nor a drill-the-skill approach. The alphabet song has endured for so long because it's a great starting point. Even knowing there's a thing called the alphabet is important. And sure, kids will likely think L-M-N-O-P is one letter, but it's still a great starting point. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, R, J, K, L-M-N-O-P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs next time won't do same with me. Once we have an alphabet song, then we can think about how we can bring in the visual. If you think about it, the alphabet is a series of names, of symbols, so we not only have to know what those names are, we have to know what the symbols look like. ABC books are great for this. And if you recall from episode three, children love to explore the same book over and over again. So having a few alphabet books lying around is always a great idea. They can be revisited over and over and over again. Beyond that, there's actually a large body of empirical, peer-reviewed, and published research on the very topic of how kids learn the alphabet. One prominent finding from this research is something called the own name effect that simply states that young children most easily and quickly learn the letters found in their first names. The easiest letter for them to learn is actually the first letter of their first name. Think about it. This provides an introduction to this thing called the alphabet, that these lines and squiggles link to sounds, that sounds are in words, and it all starts by learning the first letter of your own name. Teachers may ask, you know, what's the best sequence to teach letters? It depends on the child and their name. What letter does Sloan start with? S. Does snail start with S? Yes. Does goat start with S? No. Research has repeatedly shown that letter and name writing are important skills on the pathway to literacy. Another related finding from research I've been involved with, along with my mentor and colleague, Dr. Monique Seneschal at Carleton University in Ottawa, is that early experimentation with writing helps children learn the alphabet. Sometimes referred to as invented spelling, this is basically letting children write or try to print. Even if they don't know the alphabet yet, you give them some paper, you give them a crayon or a marker, they may write scribbles, they might draw pictures, they might put a bunch of X's and O's. But as they pick up some letter knowledge from their environment, they might start to include a letter here and there. Eventually, they'll start representing the first sound within a word. They might put a big letter D as their spelling of the word dog, for example. Well, what a great opportunity to have a discussion about what just happened. Hey, look what you just wrote. I see a letter D. It makes a sound duh, as in dog. I actually prefer to call this child-directed or child-generated print instead of invented spelling. In the past, there's been some resistance to the concept of invented spelling because it was misunderstood as saying that we would let children invent their own spellings and never teach them conventional spelling. And that's not accurate whatsoever. Invented spelling here is just seen as a starting point. It allows a child to show 
what they think a word may look like, how what they are hearing would be represented in print. This in no way means that we won't eventually teach them the correct spelling later in school, but for the pre-K years, we can just have conversations about what they produce. You can also directly teach a child how to print their own name, of course. It all comes together over time. As we get into preschool programs, we can work more directly with children to ensure letter knowledge is complete. Remember, it's a finite skill in which you want mastery on. For example, following the recommendations of Ray Rutzel, a prominent scholar and writer in this area, I'll put the reference in the show notes for those interested, you can do a brief mini-lesson where you show a child a letter and discuss its name and sound. For example, the letter D makes a D sound, and then have them print the letter. You can give a stencil or a model to copy it first and then ask them the name and the sound of the letter. And yes, it is important to know both the name of a letter and its sound. You can use manipulative type letters like magnetic letters or letter blocks and have the child sort them, putting all the Ds together. You can look through a book or around the room together and look for the letter D. Basically, the child is recognizing the letter when he sees it, associating the letter with its name and sound, hearing and saying the name and sound, and printing the letter too. I mean, that's pretty excellent. But again, this type of direct teaching isn't the starting point. This is more for that four to five-year-old who's already had a rich exposure through song, alphabet books, and child-generated print. Another important skill often promoted less consciously by early educators and parents is that gained by exposing children to rhymes and sound play. This is something called phonological awareness. What is it? Phonological awareness is a recognition that words are made up of smaller units of sound, which can be manipulated independently. Hmm, that sounds a little more technical perhaps than it needs to be. Perhaps think in terms of a word and having to learn that a word is a unit that can be broken down into smaller parts. Recognizing that words are made up of syllables and sounds, or phonemes, is a key early literacy achievement because children must learn to map those sounds, those phonemes, to letters or letter sequences in order to read unfamiliar words. Phonological awareness is described as a broad skill, auditory in nature, through hearing. And that's really important to stress. Oftentimes, people confuse phonological awareness with phonics. Phonics is a teaching method for reading where children are taught to sound out words, sound by sound. Phonological awareness is actually something different. It's the auditory skills that underlie the ability to decode words. And when we're talking about phonological awareness activities, they're done through hearing. There's actually no visual component necessary. Phonological awareness includes awareness of, or the ability to process and manipulate, units of oral language. Basically, it's being aware that words are made up of smaller segments. Well, you might be thinking now, well, duh. How could children not know that words are made of sounds? Of course they are. But if you actually think about how we speak, we don't speak in individual words. We don't pause after every word. And we certainly don't stop after every sound. I, f, u, e, d, i, d, s, p, i, ch, w, u, d. B, E, V, R, E, P, A, N, F, O. Probably just lost a few listeners we had. 
The point is, we certainly don't speak sound by sound. And not only do we not pause between the sounds, we actually overlap sounds when we speak. If you say the word do, but freeze on the D sound, do. So say do, but just freeze when you're making the D. You'll notice your lips are rounded because rounding is needed for the coming vowel. But if you were to say did and freeze on the D, you'll notice that you're smiling because we need lip spreading for that short I sound that's coming. The point is we're actually changing our mouth while we're producing sounds in order to get ready for the next sound. So our sounds overlap. The ability to hear separate sounds within a word is actually a very difficult skill and it's something we need to learn how to do. So we can't take phonological awareness for granted. Phonological awareness is a skill. It's a skill that taps processing and memory and it is a constrained skill and it does need to be mastered on the pathway to literacy. Still a little fuzzy as to what phonological awareness is? Well, it starts with recognizing syllables, like clapping along to syllables or beats and words. Computer, spaghetti. And it includes recognizing and producing rhyme and alliteration. You can't know what a rhyme is. You can't recognize alliteration if you're not aware that words are made up of smaller segments. That's phonological awareness. Phonological awareness also progresses from recognizing to doing. Children first learn to recognize rhyme and alliteration, then they gradually develop the ability to create it. After that, phonological awareness progresses to the level of individual sounds or phonemes. That's often referred to as phonemic awareness. That is, being able to process individual sounds within a word. For example, being able to match pictures or identify words that start with the same sound or end with the same sound. Once a child progresses into the school age, the level of phonological awareness skills increase even more so to the ability to isolate and change out sounds within words. For example, a child can be told a word and asked to change one of those sounds. You could say, let's say the word bat. Now let's say the word bat without saying ba. Now instead of starting that word with the ba, what if we started it with the k? Even more advanced, we can ask children to change sounds that are in the middle of a word. These are really sophisticated phonological awareness skills, more appropriate for school-aged children. For our focus of the first five years, let's stick with syllables, rhyme, and alliteration, and the early ability to process initial sounds. Why does it matter? Like alphabet knowledge, phonological awareness is a constrained skill. And like alphabet knowledge, phonological awareness can be mastered to 100% performance. And like alphabet knowledge, it is one of the most powerful predictors of learning to read. Phonological awareness is an area that came directly from the psychological research. It started as a theoretical construct, was defined and measured and studied. Research started off as correlational, showing that phonological awareness was related to learning to read. And then research progressed to experimental studies, showing that teaching phonological awareness actually helped children learn how to read. It has been described by Marilyn Adams, a prominent scholar and literacy researcher, as a scientific success story. What should we do about it? So how do we stimulate this in the preschool years? Again, my research in invented spelling or child-generated print has shown that having kids experiment with print, just giving them paper and pencil, crayon, what have you, helps develop phonological awareness. We have done studies with four to five-year-olds that have shown that having children try to spell words, not memorize a word for a test or copy a word, but just try on their own, show me how you think cat would be written. 
While that task develops phonological awareness just as much as formal teaching programs that are focused on phonological awareness. Also think exposure. Rhyme and alliteration? Dr. Seuss all the way. If you're looking at children's books for home, look for ones with rhyme and alliteration. It's that simple. You can also play word games involving coming up with words that rhyme or start with the same sound. Let's say a sentence where all the words start the same as your name. That would bring in the own name effect too. And if you name that letter, well, now you're combining alphabet knowledge with phonological awareness. Even better. Arwen? Arwen. (laughs) Do you know what letter your name starts with? A. You're right. Does apple start with A? Yes. Does mummy start with A? No. Notice how the mom in that clip was asking questions. Well, recall that phonological awareness starts with recognition and production abilities develop gradually. We can help this progression by playing word games where children have to judge rhyme or if two words start the same. We can also play games where they have to complete a sentence with the rhyme. This helps with that transition from recognition to production. There was a pig doing a jig. There was a goat rowing a boat. I know a frog who lives on a log. So frog and log sound similar, right? I know a mouse who lives in a house. Great. I know a goat who lives in a barn. (laughs) In a barn. (laughs) That last clip is a great example of how you always have to keep in mind the individual experience that children have. Where does a goat live? Well, the example there was in a barn, which doesn't rhyme, but we we should point out to be fair, that child lives on a farm. So that was like a pretty obvious answer. Mom, come on. And finally, there's something called hand spelling. This is a technique where you basically make a fist and you say a word. And as you say the word, you put up your thumb when you say the first sound slowly, slightly segmented from the word, and then extend your fingers together as you say the rest of the word, just as if you're extending your hand to shake someone's hand. Now you say that word more quickly as you bring your hand back into a fist. This teaches initial sound segmentation and the ability to segment and blend a word back together again. It's good. Phonological awareness fun. The moral of today's story. No need for flashcards or drills. Kindergarten readiness is not a discrete line to cross or step to reach. Emergent literacy involves speech, language, and constrained skills like learning the alphabet and phonological awareness. But even these constrained skills can be acquired in the preschool years through exposure, games, and explorations with print through child-directed spelling. More formal preschool programs may wish to incorporate direct teaching of letters as a child gets closer to kindergarten age. But even that can, and should be, fun. And as a final note, the research on apps and technology still has yet to show that they offer any benefit for learning these early emergent literacy skills. Human interaction and speech and language interactions are still the way to go. That is, unless some angel investor out there wants to fund an app from myself and my co-writer and friend Richard Gentry, we think we could come up with an app. We'd be happy to show how to make one that is actually based on the science of reading. And with that shameless plug for someone to give me a bunch of cash, I'll sign off. Until next time. 
But before those closing credits roll, let me just take a moment and thank everyone out there for listening and helping to spread the word about this podcast. Also, I've had some wonderful feedback and really flattering reviews left on uh, the Apple podcast platform. I really do appreciate your help in promoting this podcast. It is a lot of work. I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's, It's much more work than I had thought. And so it is really nice to know that people are out there listening. And finally, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. We started a Facebook page. Also, there's an email address in the show notes. I'd be happy to hear from you and specifically with suggestions for future topics. So far, I've tried to balance the unconstrained skills like vocabulary with the more constrained ones today towards this idea of kindergarten readiness. I'm also trying to balance the focus on the age group. We're focusing a little more on the preschool ages in this episode. So maybe next episode we'll focus more on babies. But as far as topics for the future, I'm open and I'd certainly like to have some input and hear your suggestions. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again, everybody. Until next time, cheers. And what letter does Maddie start with? M. And do you know what sound that makes? Ma, 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 Maddie. Good. Do you know another word that starts with m? Monkey. Mum. Does, what about truck? Does truck? And mum. That's right. Mum also also starts with m. Does truck start with m? No. You've been listening to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, a podcast about child development in the first five years. Kindergarten Ready is a production of the Language Literacy Learning Lab. For more information about the show, check us out at www.kindergartenreadywhatreallymatters.com. Kindergarten Ready.